voices from the RSA 2017 Security Conference in San Francisco, coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We're devoting today's security report on the RSA Security Conference in San Francisco. ISMG has a team of editors on the scene at the Moscone Center, and my colleagues are conducting video interviews with some of the top thought leaders and practitioners in the field. To view these interviews, go to any ISMG news website, click on events, and then RSA Conference. What's an RSA Conference without a look at the latest trends in information security technology? And among the hot topics is behavior analytics. Aviva Leighton is a Vice President and Distinguished Analyst at Gartner Research, and she sat down with ISMG's Tom Field to discuss an impressive use of a behavior analytics tool from a startup headed by the former Director of Israel's Internal Security Service, Yuval Diskin. What he was very good at was catching suicide bombers before they launched their attacks. He would watch the data that he was getting from all over the area and figure out who had the intention, the motivation, who was buying weapons, who was assembling the attack. And he took that technology framework, it was really a cybersecurity data mining exercise, to cybersecurity, to enterprise security. So using that methodology, he's able to identify attackers before they attack. Most of the security technology today is trying to identify attack behavior, but it's not identifying the attacker behavior. And attackers conduct many different kinds of attacks. So they may conduct an e-commerce fraud attack, stealing credit cards and, and turning that into money. And those same guys may go after intellectual property like a bomber or a blueprint. So to me, that was a breakthrough in trying to preempt attacks rather than just continually chase what's going on. Sam Curry is Chief Product Officer at Cyber Reason and he explains how behavior analytics helps enterprises understand the relevance of security to information technology and the business. Most importantly, it lets you find the threads of the people that are going through networks and through systems. The pathways they leave are always adaptive. And, and the thing that behavioral analytics does is every other form of data, every other form of control has a shelf life. Um, how long is it effective? And you look at you know, things like hash, you know, blocking by file hashes, that drops off a cliff. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, useless for very, it's useful for a very short period of time and then it's useless. This has some longevity and ultimately you can't hide behavior. It, it, it will turn up. Another technology gaining attention at RSA is artificial intelligence. Here's Chris Pearson. He's Chief Security Officer and General Counsel at ViewPost. We don't really have true AI right now. You can't just have a machine go ahead and you know look at a learning pattern of things and then take actions based off of what it thinks it knows. We're not there yet, but I think that that technology is gonna be much more steadfast, have a longer uh, uh, shelf life, and be really where the industry moves. So I look for that to be a key, key player this year and in, and in many years to come. But it's not just technology that can be deployed today or the next few years that attendees addressed. One of the conference's keynote speakers, the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, Republican Representative Mike McCall, called on the security community to address the threat of quantum computing, which experts say could still be a decade or more away. We need to be ready for the era of quantum computing. The digital atomic bomb is on the not too distant horizon. And the first hostile country to gain such capability 
will pose a serious threat to the rest of the world. The United States should lead a coalition of like-minded nations to prepare for the quantum future and ensure we have the right cyber defenses in place when it comes. One quantum researcher predicts there is a 50% chance that by 2031, just 14 years away, the immense speed of quantum computing will be able to crack a 248-bit RSA crypto system. But two of the three inventors of the RSA crypto system appeared on the conference's encryption panel, and they didn't seem overly concerned about the threat quantum computers posed to their invention. First, Ron Revest, and then Adi Shamir. It's really hard to tell how, how fast the field is moving, at least from my perspective. I mean, you hear of the NSA adjusting its suite B in response to expected quantum advancements. Uh, uh, quantum crypto, per se, doesn't seem to be moving as fast as quantum computation. Um, 2031 seems like a long, long ways off from now, so I, 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 hard to tell. Um, I don't know, I'm awfully biased on this issue, too. So. Problem with talking to us old guys, we'll be dead by then, we're not. Uh, <laughs> Actually, uh, quantum computers are not at the top of my list of worries. I think that uh, there is a higher chance that uh, RSA uh, could be uh, broken by a mathematical uh, attack, you know, classical one. Uh, there's absolutely no guarantee that it will not happen in 20 or 30 years. And uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, it could turn out that uh, quantum computers will be able to break all the supposedly quantum-proof schemes that we are developing now, based, for example, on lattices. There's no proof that... Uh, uh, it will be impossible to uh, uh, break lattice problems in a polynomial amount of time. So there are so many possibilities and worries uh, when you uh, think about what will happen in 20 or 30 years that uh, I wouldn't uh, lose too much sleep over quantum computers. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. The RSA conference is a popular gathering place for government types. Despite being 2,800 miles from Washington, some of the thought leaders are keeping a watchful eye on the White House as the administration of Donald Trump prepares an executive order on cybersecurity. Earlier draft versions of the executive order called for a number of studies reviewing the status of the federal government and nation's cybersecurity. Some experts question how deep should those studies go, saying the government should act, not ponder, ways to secure critical information assets. And I do think it's fair and prudent for every administration that's coming in to do a risk assessment. That's former and so far only Federal Chief Information Security Officer Gregory Tuhill, who served during the final four months of Obama's presidency and spoke at RSA with ISMG's Tom Field. However, this new administration is the beneficiary of a lot of work that had been done in the Bush administration as well as in both Obama administrations. That should accelerate their assessment and as we move forward. And frankly, the approach that we took while I was in federal service was not a political approach, but rather right. an enterprise risk management approach that uh, basically was taking a look at implementing best practices from the private sector and uh, integrating them into our government enterprise risk model. And I think that's important to take a look at and uh, implement some of those things. We've already put together a pretty good flight plan. I'd like to see the new administration follow through and execute. Phil Reitinger thinks these cyber reviews are a good thing. Reitinger is chief executive of the not-for-profit Global Cyber Alliance and a former top cybersecurity policymaker in the Department of Homeland Security. I think The Guardian called the new executive order bloatware uh, because it calls for nine reports. Right. I mean, it's a nice line. I laughed when I read it, too. 
I don't actually think it's fair. I say this as an organization that has said we're never going to do a report and recommendation because there's too much talk and not enough action. But if you're going to move a big government to get things done, often you need to do a 60-day report or something. Everybody has a chance to have their say. And then if that's preparatory to moving out and implementing something, I'm cool with that. I'm good with nine reports as long as they're agile, quick, and I think there's some good people who are going to be involved. Representative Mike McCall is one of the most knowledgeable members in Congress on cybersecurity, and he chairs the House Homeland Security Committee. After delivering a keynote address at RSA, Field caught up with McCall and asked whether he's been involved with the drafting of the executive order. Only to say that, you know, we don't want to relitigate you know, the FISMA uh, bill that we had and the Cybersecurity Act. Uh, whatever they do should be consistent with current law and not, and not conflict with it. And currently, the oversight of civilian cybersecurity, whether it's civilian federal agencies or the mostly privately owned national critical infrastructure, rests with DHS. But while campaigning for president, Trump suggested a stronger role for the military and intelligence agencies in protecting civilian IT. Again, McCall. The executive order coming out, and uh, I look forward to seeing that. I uh, want to be consistent with the current law in terms of the roles that both the NSA and the DOD have versus the FBI and DHS. DHS has a mission of defending the .gov space as well as the critical infrastructures in the United States. Uh, the Cybersecurity Act we passed uh, last year, I think, goes a long ways to help with that. But in the oversight rule role, uh, we'll be paying close attention to that. Besides being the former federal CISO, Tuhill also served as an Air Force Brigadier General and sees a somewhat limited role for the military and intelligence agencies on the civilian side of cybersecurity. The military is extremely well postured to do what in military terms we call is identify through reconnaissance of hostile activity and then interdict or stop it before it reaches our shores. I see that as a perfect role for the military, is in the intelligence and then when directed uh, by the National Command Authority to interdict overseas, I'd rather engage the enemy over there rather than over here. Over here is more of a law enforcement role and you know, I'd rather us maintain some of those constructs that we currently have in place. Finally, we hear from Brad Smith. He's president of Microsoft. In delivering a keynote address on defending against cyber threats in uncertain times, Smith discussed what he said needs to get done to protect and defend critical infrastructure and other information assets. ISMG's Jeremy Kirk reports. Are there rules in cyberspace? There aren't many, but Microsoft is proposing an international convention that would set internet norms to prevent the unfair targeting of civilians. The idea comes from Microsoft President and Chief Legal Officer Brad Smith, who keynoted at the RSA conference in San Francisco this week. For over two-thirds of a century, the world's governments have been committed to protecting civilians in times of war. But when it comes to cyber attacks, nation-state hacking has evolved into attacks on civilians in times of peace. This is not the world that the Internet's inventors envisioned a quarter of a century ago. Smith is proposing a digital Geneva Convention, which would commit governments to implementing norms designed to protect civilians on the Internet. He says the agreement would be in the same spirit as the Fourth Geneva Convention, which was agreed to shortly after the end of World War II. Governments should agree to not conduct cyber attacks against the private sector, or steal intellectual property, or hit critical infrastructure. 
Smith says the convention should also set up an independent organization that brings the public and private sectors together to investigate and release detail on nation-state attacks. The turning point was the devastating cyber attack against Sony Pictures Entertainment in November 2014. The U.S. government attributed that attack to North Korea. It is widely believed North Korea targeted Sony for backing a movie that mocked its leader, Kim Jong-un. Here was a nation state attack, not for espionage, not related to the military, but to attack a private company for engaging in freedom of expression around, as it turned out, not a terribly popular movie. As commerce and communication moved to internet-based platforms, it was expected war would as well. The huge benefit of launching a network-based attack is it avoids the messy consequences of traditional kinetic warfare. Cyber attacks can be extremely effective and disruptive. While it's virtually impossible to drop a bomb without knowing which nation is behind it, cyber attacks are shrouded in confusing technical tricks, leading to much speculation but often lacking dead-set proof. The situation since the Sony attacks has only grown worse. The most striking example of late is the U.S. government's belief that Russia mounted an extensive hacking and disinformation campaign prior to the presidential election. The output from that campaign, from leaked embarrassing emails to fake news stories, clouded an already unconventional campaign. Kenneth Gears, a senior research scientist with Komodo and a former research scientist with a NATO think tank, tells me that cyber attacks are changing the landscape of national security. He says that a legal framework is essential. Efforts have been underway for a number of years to develop international law to accommodate cyber activity. Microsoft's Brad Smith. We need to recognize that the time has come for us to come together as an industry around the world to call on the world's governments. We need to call on the world's governments to come together. That's easier said than done, particularly with the slow-moving nature of international agreements. But the call is at least a starting point. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.